Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome back to the Sword and Shield Podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erich, 960th Cyberspace Wing Commander. And today my guest is Colonel Jeff Phillips, 67th Cyberspace Wing Commander. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. How you doing? Thanks for having me today. No, it's great. Thanks for coming over. appreciate your time. Um, we haven't had a chance to, to do this yet, and I'm glad we're going to do this here before you move on to your next assignment. I am too. Yeah, so really looking forward to, you know, kind of learning a little bit about you and your journey, your Air Force story, and, and how you got to where you are, and then any leadership lessons that you've learned, certainly through, you know, the past two, two years has been a number of uh, crises that, that we've all kind of led through. So interested in you sharing what you've learned. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about your story, and I know you enlisted first in the Air Force and then became an officer, and I know you've, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the stories and really interesting path, and I think our, our airmen would be interested in, um, as they have goals to be an officer someday, um, that you can kind of share that journey with them, because I came, I did the ROTC path, so my path is different. We really try to promote getting our enlisted to the officer corps. We've got about 19 people in the pipeline now. We want to continue that. And, and grow that and uh, what's kind of your journey yeah absolutely so I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Norwich New York and uh, I graduated in 1989 I didn't enlist right out of high school I worked was working some odd jobs I worked in a bowling alley did grounds work um, but my real full-time job was uh, in the produce department of a grocery store and uh, did that for a couple years then one of my co-workers went off and joined the Air Force and uh, he came back after basic training and tech school and uh, I looked at Al Chrisman and he was a completely different person. And, uh, <laughs> he actually ended up becoming a chief uh, in the in the maintenance community and we were stationed together 20 years later which was a cool story too. Yeah, that's crazy. But I saw, saw how much Al had changed and, and uh, how, what good the Air Force did for him and uh, so I went and talked to a recruiter and uh, actually went with my best friend. We both signed up. We were supposed to leave for basic training within a week of each other. And then uh, he um, found out he had asthma and was not able to go, but uh, I still decided to go ahead and go. Um, so I was an enlisted computer programmer. Uh, my first assignment was Langley Air Force Base, and I was there for, for six years. I uh, met my wife about a year or so into being in the Air Force. She was going to college at Radford University. And uh, you know we started dating, and uh, we were making the trip every weekend between Langley and Radford. It's about a five-hour drive to visit each other. We talked about getting married, but her parents were paying for her college, and I didn't want to pick up that tab. So, <laughs> so uh, I said, "Hey, let's wait until you graduate." And uh, but at that point in time um, is when I decided I probably should, uh, you know, get on the ball and uh, continue my education as well. And I had some very supportive supervisors. Um, I'm still friends with them to this day, you know, 29 years later, and they were very um, supportive about getting my education. So I'm a huge proponent of what the Air Force offers with regards to education. I used uh, the tuition assistance program back then. They paid for 75% of the classes. Got an AFSIA scholarship that picked up the, the rest for me. And so I'm a big fan of AFSIA as well. Um, and so I try to attend all their events and support their uh, fundraising causes and things like that. And so I finished my degree in the, like the 1998-99 timeframe. Um, my wife and I talked about getting out of the Air Force. You know, I didn't have a commitment at that point, um, but it was actually uh, my ALS graduation where we made the decision to stay in the Air Force. Uh, she came to my ALS graduation, saw all the pomp and circumstance, saw how the leaders um, came out and supported the young airmen. 
and uh, she wanted to be part of that. And so we both really wanted to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And so instead of getting out and becoming a commercial computer programmer and making lots of money, we, <laughs> we decided to continue our Air Force journey through through OTS. And so, yeah, do that journey. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting you talk about, you know, the reason you got into the Air Force to begin with is somebody that was influential in your life that came back and it wasn't necessarily a chance, um, but somebody you built a relationship with that drove you that way. And, and I think that's important as we go along our careers that we run into people all the time that we don't know, maybe don't know it at the time, that yeah. they influence us in, in a number of ways and are either our leadership style, the way we treat people, or um, good and bad, right? We, we, we learn, it's all learning and data points for us. So um, so who was that person that, you, that said, you need to be an officer, Jeff? Or was it like you just seeing a mentor or seeing people that made you want to be an officer? Yeah, so there was a couple other airmen in the shop that had gone the OTS route. Um, Marty Jennings, he, he's actually a cyber uh, colonel today. Um, and then Nick Crow is still a friend of mine today. They both had uh, finished their degrees. We all were going to the same college there on, on uh, base at Langley. So I saw them kind of follow that path and uh, you know we all worked in the same office. So I think it was that leadership team in that office that was very supportive of education and you know, pursuing the opportunity to go to OTS. But I'll say probably the most influential person, or I'll, I'll name two, um, were Natalie Canella. She was a civilian supervisor at the time and uh, she was going through the Palace Acquire program and she's still a great friend to this day. And, uh, you know, she helped me to, set, to establish some goals. And she's like, you know, helped me set short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals. And, and that was uh, really establishing those goals that set me on the path to finish my degree, apply for OTS. And, you know, I, so I've tried to use that throughout my career is, you know, set those short, medium, and long-term goals. And uh, the other one was uh, Tech Sergeant Greg Roberts at the time. He was my immediate supervisor. And uh, you know he was very supportive about taking a lunchtime class, taking the class after work, and you know, making sure I got there and got the work done, uh, and was able to work my work schedule around those efforts. It's kind of funny, um, you know, when I left to go up to OTS, um, he was jokingly mad about the fact that I was going to outrank him here in about twelve <laughs> weeks. And so he actually finished his degree about a year later and went to OTS himself. And oh, good uh, for him. he's a colonel in the Air Force today, having served almost thirty-nine years. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so many great, you know, so many great opportunities the Air Force has for us in order to grow and, and continue to develop and, and contribute in a way that we want to contribute. So, um, you know, you're in the regular Air Force side, I'm on the reserve side. We still both found our path and opportunities, um, you know, to end up here. And so um, what kind of things throughout that path from lieutenant to where you are now, either leadership values or things that you really think helped um, solidify who you are as a person and a leader? Um, would you like to share with us? Yeah, one thing I tell everybody is, you know, I, I try to um, take leadership lessons from all the different leaders I've worked with throughout that path. You know, some, some are good, some are bad, and implement those. It's simple things like um, how you treat other people, establishing relationships. Um, one colonel that I worked for um, had highly polished leather shoes, and I thought that was just really sharp. So I started wearing leather shoes instead of core frames. So little things like that that I've picked up on throughout my career. But um, ultimately, I tell people, I think it's um, relationships you build with people along the way enable success. And then it's, um, you know, it's kind of uh, cliche, but the bloom where you're planted um, motto, I think, is really important. Um, we've all had jobs that we didn't like or we didn't think we were going to like. But if you kind of put your heart and soul into that job and, and do your best, I think that's always a good approach to take when you're going into a job that you uh, may have some questions about. So. Sure. Yeah, I'd say I had similar experience as well. You kind of like take the deep breath and go, <laughs> I think I can do this, you know, yeah. and you get into it and you just dive, 
you know, you dive in head first and take care of it. And um, at least for me, good things have always happened. Good opportunities have come about that. And, and, and doing a good job in the job that you're in, people notice. And, um, and uh, you know, I think that's, that's a really good, important lesson about attitude and effort is, you know, I tell people attitude and effort is the only two things that you can really control. Absolutely. The rest you can't control. Yeah. And so doing those as best you can, I think people will notice. And, sure. and clearly, those those people saw that in you when you were an airman. I want you to be, you know, an officer to lead them in the future. So I think yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. And as a brand new second lieutenant, I got singled out to to be an exec because I because I had that prior enlisted experience. And you know, I think those jobs just kind of um, set me up for the next job. Doing good in the one you're in sets you up for the next job that you want to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I think it's important to have. Um, that airman officer as part of our um, part of our teams. We don't need everybody from the Air Force Academy. We don't need all ROTC. We don't need all OTSers off street. Like to me, it's really important to have some of that experience. And you can look at an airman to an officer as you know. I don't look at him as a second lieutenant. Certainly, you came <laughs> in knowing already much more than the regular second lieutenant or ROTC knucklehead like I was, and that it kind of gives you a leg up and you got that other opportunity and experience because. You spent your time as an airman. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think that's really important for us to continue to talk about. We want to continue to grow that in our force, and and certainly got to find the right balance. How many, but um, good airmen deserve the opportunity, and so um, it's really important for us um, to kind of talk about that. So let's fast forward a little bit, um, and you kind of give us a quick rundown of um, the second lieutenant to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, you know, I got to be the mission support group exec at Shaw Air Force Base as a brand new second lieutenant. The person I replaced went off to AFIT, another program that I had never heard about. And uh, so I, I kind of modeled his path and I went to AFIT after that job. Um, ended up back here at Lackland after AFIT in, you know, an AFIT follow-on billet and, and uh, you know, started working in the 690th CSS, which is now you know, part of the 688th wing. And uh, you know, did that for a little while, and because I um, had, had exec experience and had gone to AFIT, um, my name got put on a list to go interview to be the aide de camp for then uh, the Air Intelligence Agency commander. And so did that interview and um, got that job and spent 18 months following around a couple, couple different two-star generals, uh, traveled a lot, but got, um, got a lot of exposure to higher level strategy discussions, you know, with STRATCOM and 8th Air Force and ACC and learned so much in that 18 months. And that kind of set me up to go do what was called the old Air Force intern program as a yep. captain. Went to the Pentagon, did a couple of different rotations, the air staff and the joint staff, and uh, then got um, ended up having to stay there because that was the year that uh, Air Force put a halt to PCSs. We were in budget, extreme budgetary constraints. Um, that was a blessing and a curse. We had lived <laughs> out in Manassas, where, where my wife was from, and I had an hour and a half commute each way. Um, you know, so we got to spend a lot of time with her family then, but I had to endure that commute for four years. Sure. But um, that turned into a couple of really interesting jobs. Um, I ended up doing a deployment to Iraq for six months, came back, and then spent two years working in the colonel's group, managing colonel assignments for um, a few different career fields to include the communications career field at the time. And I uh, learned so much about personnel in that couple of years that it really uh, paid dividends. I was fortunate enough to get picked up to go to school after that, so I went to the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies at Maxwell Air Force Base. Tell people it was the hardest and most rewarding year of my, my career. We read about 200 or so books over the course of a year and had to write a thesis, but uh, learned wow. so much and just learned a lot from my peers that were part of that program as well. 
and then got to do my first uh, squadron command tour at Misawa Air Base in Japan. Um, had a great wing commander there. I probably learned more from him than um, most other leaders in my career. And the, the approach that he took um, to leadership, you know, he was really focused on the mission, really focused on building future leaders. And at Misawa at the time, he was really focused on uh, community engagement. Um, got there right after the big earthquake happened, so we were spending a lot of time working with the local community trying to, to clean up. And that, that mission leadership community mantra is one that um, kind of shaped my leadership philosophy going forward as well. Um, and we'll, t- we'll talk about that um, after I give the quick recap. But so left Misawa, um, ended up going to US Cyber Command. Uh, didn't want to go there, but it was probably <laughs> a, um, one of the best jobs I had as far as learning about the cyber mission force and really set me up for future jobs, uh, being part of the cyber community. Um, did that for a couple of years. Got picked up for another squadron command, got to stand up the 390th down here at Lackland, one of the offensive cyber squadrons. Um, that was really fun, starting something from scratch. I'm a, a self-proclaimed culture nerd, so we had to establish the culture of the squadron from scratch. And you know, that was a team effort with all the uh, plank holders from that unit, and that was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, there's not, not many opportunities in your career to get to stand something up from scratch. Yeah, so, it's, so it's being, really being the first fun. commander of something yeah. is uh, something I'm really proud of. Uh, went to SDE after that at National War College. Then uh, got the opportunity to be uh, another hard school. <laughs> I, 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 a lot of reading. I, yeah, I, I see a, a pattern here. Yeah, so yeah. I, I told you the Air Force education opportunities are amazing, and so taking advantage of those when you can, you gotta, you gotta do that. Then I got the opportunity to go to back to the ACC staff, um, back to where it all started at Langley Air Force Base, <laughs> and uh, be the exec for General Holmes, who was the uh, commander of Air Combat Command at the time. I spent a year watching him lead, and that that was a great year as well. Um, people you know, dread those exec jobs, but uh, once again, I learned so much from one of our Air Force's best leaders uh, ever. And his approach to people first mission always was infectious. I watched how much he cared about the people and putting the people first, and how that contributed to just being better at them executing the mission. Because if you take care of the people, they'll do anything for you. And so that Absolutely. really shaped my philosophy, leadership philosophy as well. So spent a couple of years there, and then I uh, got to come down here and lead the 67th Cyberspace Wing. Tell people it's my third assignment to the wing, and it's my third and last assignment to the wing because I've run out of jobs. <laughs> but but it's, it was truly a pleasure to come back to the Gunslinger team and uh, and, and be here for these couple of years where we got to defend the elections and uh, respond to other events you know, that happened in the world that uh, we were able to be a part of. Yeah, I think um, just between Langley and Lackland, the number of <laughs> number of assignments back and you know the path well yeah. um, you know and your family knows the area well too so um, but I think your, your your path has been it's super interesting to me because um, every every job seems like it's been unique and like you just took advantage of the opportunity that was there in front of you and then that led to another door opening or to another door opening to more opportunities and exposure and you you certainly have um, ex- been exposed to a number of senior leaders that maybe other people don't necessarily get. So now you talked a little bit about um, what you learned from them and, and how that shaped um, shaped you. And so how have you taken all this experience that's in <laughs> Jeff and then I'm wing commander guy now of, of um, America's most lethal cyber wing? Is that what we're <laughs> calling you guys now? Or the Hollywood cyber wing. The Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood cyber wing, gunslingers, but how has that kind of culminated into how you're approaching it? And, and I know you've brought us into a number of your initiatives and really great partner with us and helping us 
you know, move our young new wing forward as well. Yeah, I think partnerships are, are really important. So it's, it's interesting you ask how you bring all that together. And so that's something I thought about a lot before coming into the job. You know, what, what are our lines of effort going to be? What's going to be, um, what are the gunslingers going to get after, you know, when I get down to Lackland? And so I spent a lot of time talking with General, both General Holmes and General, Lieutenant General Hawk as he was standing up 16th Air Force. Sure. Um, getting to see that from inside of ACC was was great. Um, watching all the different conversations going on about um, everything from how the staff's going to be organized to what is the 16th Air Force culture going to be, right? The Phoenix culture, and kicking ash and things like mm-hmm. that. And so um, got to kind of have all those influences and, you know, I bounced it off a bunch of people as I was coming in. But there was three things I really wanted to focus on, you know, shaped from, I think, my first squadron command and modified along the way. But really wanted to focus on mission, leadership, and culture, and all of those things powered by people. And so powered by people is one of our catchphrases in the, the Gunslinger family. Um, we know we can't do anything without the people. Um, our mission's really unique. We get to do offensive, offensive and defensive cyber for the nation, and our airmen find innovative ways to keep doing that every day. I'm a firm believer in building leaders at all levels. I think whether you're an airman or a colonel in the organization, you can have a leadership role. And it doesn't just have to be leading the booster club. So our airmen are experts on the mission, and they lead other people that are their peers, and sometimes their superiors on executing that mission. And so we established a leadership program that I'm really proud of. We call it the Gunsmith Program because every gunslinger needs a gunsmith. That's awesome. And we model it after ACC's AC, the Sword Series of leadership programs, and so. We have Gun Forge that focuses on our civilian leaders, um, Gun Look that focuses on our CGOs, Gun Bearer that focuses on NCOs, and we just started, uh, just had our first Gun Athena to get after um, barriers to service for uh, women and families that, that serve with us. And, and so really proud of that. And then from a culture perspective, we just kind of proliferated the gunslinger culture. It was already there. We've had some great leaders that came before me that had to establish some gunslinger ethos and uh, different things. We made some modifications along the way, and but sure. we really, uh, you know, um, really want to proliferate being a gunslinger and what that means and, and how important it is to be part of the, the culture and the family. Yeah, I find it fascinating um, that you you spend your, so this is simplifying it, but you spend your entire career for this opportunity. And, and maybe more, but but I think for me, the wing command is like, is what I wanted to do from a long time ago. And then you get two years to do it. And you got to take all this thing and then you're going to get in the job and you're going to sprint. <laughs> and then we're going to throw things at you like, worldwide pandemic and then you know social unrest and then um political overtones and now at the end of your tour and then let's throw in the election defense which you mentioned and then at the end of your tour you know a war that has the possibility of of widening in europe that your teams have had significant influence in in trying to shape and control their narrative and and, and help the people of europe so um looking back do you feel like you're prepared for the command and everything? And then what would you maybe approach differently? Um, I think that's that's important to reflect and figure out like, hey, I learned throughout my command. I wish I would have done this. Is there anything that so you're think, thinking about now? So I think the Air Force does prepare people to lead. And I, I'm, I've been really um, happy and just humbled by the opportunities I've had to lead other organizations. And I think that prepared me this it is a little overwhelming at first the you know the first day in the seat and sure then you talk about a two-year sprint you know I took command on July 2nd 2020 on August 2nd I looked at Colonel Velasco my vice wing commander and uh, I said hey Omar one month down we only have 23 left and uh, you know that seems like it was yesterday and wow. here yeah. I am and I only have about a month left now but um, so it does go by fast the pandemic um, 
definitely uh, shaped how I had to lead the 67 Cyber Wing. I'm, I'm a people person. I want to go out and give high fives to airmen and thank them for what they're doing <laughs> and hear their stories, hear where they're from, hear about their families. And that was really hard to do um, during COVID. And so um, we had to modify that somewhat. So I did uh, virtual squadron immersions with all the units when I first got in the seat. We could knock that out over the first couple months. It just wasn't the same. It was really hard, honestly. Um, but <clears throat> it was at least establishing those touch points um, and getting to know those airmen a little bit, albeit virtually. Then we finally did get to start traveling uh, probably a year or so into command. And, uh, and that helped. Um, going out and being able to shake hands and, and things was, was great. And now things are opening up a little bit more. Some of the things I looked really forward to, being a wing commander, um, things like the the MLR at ACC, things like the commander's conferences where you get to go and spend time with all your peers and build relationships and learn from each other. And uh, that didn't happen. A lot of those were virtual events and that was really challenging as well. But um, we modified, we adapted, we uh, hopefully overcame. And uh, you're right, the gunslingers are having uh, great influence in a lot of um, you know unprecedented events in not just the US but in the world yeah I think um, I guess you take you know you take whatever life gives you and you go with it and you adapt and be flexible and I guess that's part of leadership that I think their forces um, that has prepared us for and you know going forward I think there's a lot of things that we've we've learned and done through the pandemic that we continue to move forward i think we've learned what what works and what doesn't work yeah. and i think um, connecting with airmen i think is one of those things that you know we always talked about and knew it but i think it was even more heightened and we really realize that now and so as you connect with your airmen um at the end of the tour here and you see what's going on in the world and see what we're doing what kind of things if you're going to look back 10 years from now what kind of things would you like to see the gunslingers um evolve to or move into or from the reserve perspective where we could partner more what kind of you know as you kind of sit back and reflect maybe come to change of command in five five <laughs> commanders now and say wow they've really you know taken this thing that i had and now moved the ball forward this far yeah i'm, I'm really hoping that you know th things uh, operations in the cyber domain are more normalized by then right and i tell people um we, we want to get to that point of what we call normalized really fast but it doesn't happen overnight. And uh, so I, we constantly make analogies to the air domain. And so if you uh, make that analogy with the maturation of operations in the cyberspace domain, we're somewhere around the 1920s as compared to where the air domain started. You know, they started in 1908 or 09 flying planes yeah. um, as part of the military. And uh, it's taken, you know, 110 years to evolve to where we're at today. So it's gonna take time. So hopefully 10 years from now, um, we're a little more normalized, hopefully, uh, we figure out um, ways to build a ready force that can, is always um, there to support and defend the Constitution. I think the reserve is a huge part of that. I think we have to be able to um, give airmen opportunities to get trained and serve time on active duty. And if they want to make a decision to transition into the reserves, I think we have to capture that talent on the way out the door. And uh, As you know, we're working on a partnership um, for that together and, and how we can best capture that talent. And then we can, um, you know, build that reserve capacity that we need that can that we can call on for our nation uh, when when it's time to do so. And so I think that partnership is really important. And uh, you know, hopefully, ten years from now, um, we have uh, excess capacity, and we're not talking about um, still talking about readiness and how we don't get enough training slots and things like that um, to get a, to build that ready force. And uh, you know, we have it in a, in a way that. Uh, our airmen aren't over overburdened and they can 
have a normal work-life balance and still you know do what they want to do. Yeah, I, what I've seen just kind of being this outsider, you know, we just have a little bit, you know, we don't have a ton of mission in your wing, but um, everybody's all in. And I think, you know, that's important right now, but you, you did mention about the balance and, and the ops temple is what it is. And um, we don't, I mean, I don't see that changing significantly in, in at least the short term here. So hopefully the reserve can bring additional, you know, we're building some ways to bring additional capacity to you to maybe level that balance out a little bit and then build the surge capability in the future. Yeah. So really appreciate your teamwork on that. Um, what's what's next for Jeff? What what what's what are the what are the Phillips doing? I know this is gonna come as a shock, but I'm going back to Langley Air Force Base. Oh, I should have put money down on that one. <laughs> back, back to where it all started again. And maybe you'll be back here <laughs> after that assignment. You, you never know. Lots there's, of opportunities. There's lots of opportunities. So, um, you know, my youngest daughter is still at home with us, and uh, you know, for the first 18 months of our assignment here, she all she wanted to do was get back to. Virginia so she could be at school with her friends and then of course in the last six months uh, she's decided she really likes it here now and <laughs> of wants, course wants to stay yeah but we're we're headed back to to Langley and um, I'm gonna be the ACC director of staff up there so hopefully I can take my previous experience there leverage relationships that I already have and uh, uh, jump in and be a full up around pretty quick yeah that's a great great opportunity for you too and um, you know hopefully set you up for what's next and I know you're not done I know there's, there's still a lot of energy left in Jeff so um, I really want to appreciate your, your time you spent with us today and um, certainly the partnership and um, helping us build you know this thing on the fly and um, what the reserve is trying to do and how we how we participate and, and support your team and 16th Air Force mission overall so I'll leave you with the last word to wrap up today's podcast yeah I'll echo the appreciation uh, it's great to be here great to talk about uh you know, the journey that we don't probably think about often enough. And uh, so thanks for the opportunity to do that. And uh, I'll close with a uh, gunslingers, light them up.